We're back again. It's Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy. That's Chase and I am Josh, and we are here to give you episode 7 in House of the Dragon today. Some really exciting things take place. A lot of chess pieces are moved across the board. Uh, important points can be brought up. People come together. It's a lot of uh, informative things that play a role into the future of not just the season, but the series as a whole. So, Really cool things to happen, uh, and you know, I know that I'm the one that took us through episode six last week. That means Chase is going to guide us through episode seven here today. You know, quickly where we left off last week, and episode six is where Lena Valarian she had that complicated pregnancy. The Maesters and Pentos couldn't get the baby out, so she decided to take it upon herself to uh, die a dragon rider's death and have Vagar burn her alive, and. That's what ended up happening, and where we pick up here is kind of a continuation of where that 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 scene kind of ends, and you know, back on Driftmark where we pick up today. So, before we go ahead and get started with the episode, I'll turn the floor over to Chase to say a few words, and then we'll get after it. Let's make it happen, man. We're getting into just like you said, you nailed it. Moving the pieces on the chessboard, climbing up the mountain here for the big climax of the season. Also, enjoy the ride, guys. Um, you know, this is we are on the second half of our final arc of season two for Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. Uh, let's make it happen, man. Let's get a malice in the chalice. Let's make this one a good one today. Absolutely, man. Glasses in the air. I'm excited for uh, for this one here. Cheers, brother. Um, so as we're getting started here, kind of because you um, when we were researching this, you did this really well. Describe. We're starting out here, just like you said, with the uh, brief overview from last week. As we're starting here in this funeral scene for Lena Valerian, uh, kind of describe uh, some of their customs and how they're doing this funeral scene. Absolutely. So right now we are on Driftmark, where, we, where Lena Valerian ended up a- acting out her Dragon Rider's death with Vagar happened in Pentos, but now we're here in Driftmark for the funeral where her family are going over the customs and it's and it's really it's a it's kind of a beautiful ceremony and just to kind of set the tone here as well so it's Lena Valarian and the people who rule Driftmark are the Valarians now they come from Valyria and have Valyrian blood and Valyrian background but there's two houses that are from old Valyria that have survived the Targaryens and the Valarians and so the Valarians here rule over Driftmark and they have this custom Especially when it comes to like funerals and like laying their people at their final rest, so I thought it was really, really interesting and, and very beautiful. Where they take the remains of the individual who passed away and they encase it in a stone tomb, but then they have this ornate dec- decorative stone where they—it's almost as if it's—you it, can think about a wood shop class where they chisel wood and make it look nice. But it's almost like in the stone with some wood features that look to it. But long story short, on the top of this tomb that they sealed the remains in, it, it looks like a woman. Obviously for for Elena Valarian because she is a woman. It's like a a, a, a little I want to say sculpture, but a, a nice you know they they made it look as a woman's face with the hair flowing. And I wonder, you know, we don't get to see as of yet any of the funerals for men in the past of the Valarians that have passed away. I know that we're going to get into things later on in the season. But 
It, I'm, I'm assuming that it's if like for a, uh, a Valarian male, it would be the same exact thing, but instead of a woman carved into the stone, it would be a man carved into the stone. And it's just the custom itself seems really cool. And for me, it really reminded me a lot of Game of Thrones, the original Game of Thrones. I wonder if the Greyjoys ever got any of their customs from the Valarians, because there are some similarities between those houses. The Greyjoys were pretty much the masters of the sea in the Game of Thrones era. Obviously, they were a smaller house than the Valarians. They weren't as strong, but they were known as the sea people. They were, they were the rulers of the sea. Where the Valarians here in this era, they're the rulers of the sea, and this is where the fleet was probably at its strongest in Westeros history is when the Valarians ruled the sea here. So I'm always curious in seeing if, like, hey, was there any sort of customs that the Greyjoys took from the Valarians when they had their own sort of deal going on there? So those are just some thoughts that I had. What about you? What did you think about it? For me, and we were talking about this before the show, it kind of reminded me of how we covered Lord of the Rings this year in a way of how Boromir, your boy Boromir, man, he was sent, you know, after he, you know, gave his, you know, gave his all in that battle there and they unfortunately lost him. Uh, but they did his funeral by they put him on the canoe with the sword in his hand and then uh, floated him off the waterfall. So it was kind of similar to that in a way to me, just in my eyes, but it was very interesting and honestly like it was a really beautiful uh funeral scene it was very entertaining and interesting to watch uh all these new kind of customs come into play here absolutely dude so i'll go ahead and continue on from there yeah uh so uh, i'm not gonna read this is actually in high valerian so uh, that's the language I don't want anyone to be confused with Valarian. So Vaman Valarian is actually speaking in High Valyrian, but uh, I'm just going to read the English because it's a it's a big monologue here for the speech of the funeral, but it's actually very important because pay attention to this because it, it plays some really big moments on the board going into the future. So uh, Vaman Valarian is saying, we join today at the Seat of the Sea to commit Lady Lena of House Valarian to the eternal waters, the dominion of Merlin King, where he will guard her for all the days to come. As she sets to death of her final voyage, the Lady Lena leaves two true-born daughters on the shore. Though their mother will not return from her voyage, they all remain bound together in blood. Salt courses through Valarian blood looks at Rhaenyra. Our blood runs thick. Ours runs true. And ours must never thin. My gentle niece, may the winds be as strong as your back, your seas as calm as your spirit, and your nets be as full as your heart. From the sea we came to the sea we shall return. And at this moment, as the speech is going on, two very important moments here. Otto Hightower is back as Hand of the King now. Uh, here we go. <laughs> strap in, baby. Strap in. And uh, Damon, kind of an interesting moment because he kind of laughs during the speech. Kind of what did you get from that? Like, what do you think he's thinking in this moment here? Well, he laughed specifically at the part where Vaman was saying their blood should never run thin. And he, like, chuckles because he knows... And most people know. I, I, everyone knows except King Viserys for whatever reason. But uh, he knows that, unfortunately, 
drift mark is going to pass as it stands right now to two children whose bloodlines are questionable at best. And I'll say that. <laughs> exactly. So at this point, this is a really cool moment in my opinion. So we see like the castle of Driftmark again. The scenery is phenomenal. But really cool moment here because we see five dragons, if you look close, that are flying around and perched on this castle. The first four dragons we've seen, we actually have seen before. So we see Melee's. We see Caraxes, that's Damon's dragon, you know, the blood worm. Sea Smoke, that we've seen over in the Stepstones during the battle, uh, the Valarian's dragon. Cyrax, that of course uh, Rhaenyra rode when she was a child, even to now. And if you look close, right on the bottom perch there, a yellow dragon is Sunfire. So we don't get to see a lot of Sunfire, but always keep that in the back of your mind because uh, the future of this series, always just keep that dragon in the back of your mind there. So Rhaenyra at the funeral celebration meets with Jace, her son. And Rhaenyra is telling Jace to go be with his cousins because they just lost their mother, Lena. And Jace tells Rhaenyra that they should be at Hall mourning the Strongs, Lord Lionel and Sir Harwin. Because remember, Sir Harwin died last episode. Not a big fan of Larry's. <laughs> He's the one strong I'm not really a fan of, but just throwing it out there. But So I thought it was a little ironic. And then at this moment, Alicent is staring at Rhaenyra. And in my opinion, you could kind of cut this moment of the tension with a knife here. So... I, I got that from that. And then we cut over and Princess Helena is shown and she's playing with the spider. And this is an interesting moment here. And she's a dreamer. Kind of reminds me of, I always tell Jane Ellie this, she reminds me of Professor Trelawney in a way, but maybe a little bit more serious in her thoughts. So, because uh, it's very interesting what she kind of talks about. But she says, as she's playing with the spider... Hand turns loom, spool of green, spool of black, dragons of flesh, weaving dragons of thread. Hand turns loom, spool of green. What do you think this is? Do you think this is foreshadowing in any way? I definitely think it can be. Helena is an interesting character because we don't see terribly too much of her, but what we do see from Helena is that it almost seems as if she's not all there. I wouldn't say mentally as in like there's a lot of challenges, but it's just she's spacey. It's like she sees like spacey in her head. She has a hard time communicating normally with, you know, the other characters. It seems, you know, she's very much to herself and, you know, she, who knows what is going on inside her head. And I don't know if these are premonitions, if these are foreshadows, but in terms of on purpose, I don't think she's purposely saying these things to where she believes X, Y, and Z actions are going to come to pass. I think it's more along the lines, these thoughts and notions are coming to her from somewhere and she's just verbalizing what she's able to make out of what's happening inside of her head. And to your, to answer your question, do I think that what she's saying is a foreshadow? I definitely think it could be because she says spools of green, spools of black, Right. And we obviously know the two factions of the Targaryens are the Greens and the Blacks. So that, to me, there's a good direct correlation there that could make sense. And then on top of that, the dragons weaving. Well, another 
way you can say weaving is like dancing in and out. So she could very much be predicting the dance of the dragons here in the in the in the war to come between the two sides without knowing it. Like she may be predicting it, and I think she's predicting it without knowing that she's predicting it. I think she's just saying stuff that's coming to her head. But we also see in later episodes she says another phrase that comes to pass and no one really takes her seriously because she's just kind of spacey and she just kind of says off the wall stuff and you know it's it's really interesting so that that those are my thoughts on it what about you do you think the same thing those are my thoughts exactly i was kind of wondering before um and then there's an episode coming up in a couple weeks that we'll talk about that really solidified that she's more like professor trelawney to me like it's kind of um vague in a way what she says but it's also very eerie about things that actually could play into exactly what she's saying so that's what i'll say about that but at this moment standing over her kind of looking at her as she's playing with the spider is amen and aegon what a role these two the power brothers i guess you can say um so aemon says she's our sister in this moment i'm starting to kind of see that aemon in my opinion is looking a little bit more for like he kind of stands more for what's better for the realm like kind of almost in a way almost like he's taken after his grandfather otto in my opinion uh, it, he's very kind of similar in certain aspects do you see that from him at all he definitely takes their role as princes more seriously than Aegon. I can say that f- for certainty. Uh, I definitely that, that that's my biggest takeaway there. Do I necessarily know if it, he's taking after Otto or not? I'm not terribly sure because this is the first episode we see Otto back as any sort of playing a role. He's been gone from King's Landing for a decent amount of time while Lionel Strong was acting as Hand of the King. So I don't know how much time he had spent around Aemon to have Eamon pick up tendencies and qualities from him. I guess it's possible, but I definitely think that Eamon takes the role of being a prince more seriously than Aegon does. Absolutely, I, I agree. So Aegon goes, you marry her then. Eamon said, I would perform my duty if mother had only betrothed us. It would strengthen the family, keep our Valarian blood pure. Aegon, she's an idiot. Eamon, she's your future queen. And then Aegon takes a cup from this Valarian innocent girl that's just standing there. And he goes, we actually do have one thing in common. We both fancy creatures with very long legs. And he walks off this asshole. Winch! <laughs> Another! <laughs> it reminded me of the Thor. Another! <laughs> yeah, so classic Aegon there. Um, but Helena continues with this dream and she says dragons of flesh weaving dragons of thread and she captures the spider in a seashell in my opinion I don't know if this is foreshadowing of anything it just made me kind of think like I don't know like maybe something's trapped here maybe something's you know I think this very well could foreshadow the war that's to come um so then we have our crybaby the coal <laughs> the Kristen cole is here so he's informing allison that larry strong has been watching her since they arrived at driftmark so the crybaby and the creep <laughs> that should be a poem <laughs> that should be a book interesting so at this point 
Alicent then tells Kristen Cole that it's only a look of pride because Larry's is now the new lord of Harrenhal. So that's a big moment. Yeah, dude. And if we think about it, there's two major things we learned in back-to-back scenes right there. We learn that Aegon and Helena are betrothed to be husband and wife, sticking with the Targaryen custom of marrying inside the family to keep their bloodline strong and pure. And that since Lord Lionel and Sir Harwin died in that fire, Lara Strong is now the Lord of Harrenhal. So when this guy who almost seemed someone in the shadows on the back burner now comes into a prominent role and he he's now the head of a full house like a strong quote-unquote a strong house right but like yes how strong uh, i didn't mean to do that but anyways uh that's that's important you know and in his he's gonna come into play i believe not just so much in this season because he does do a few things that are important in this season but He's going to have a, a snake-like role throughout the entirety of the series, is my opinion on it going forward. But it's just, it, but now he's in a position of actual power. He is the Lord of House Strong in Harrenhal. So I, don't, I think those are two big takeaways from back-to-back scenes there that we just got to keep a, a mindset for going forward. Yeah, I mean, do you see him as like a Peter Baelish in a way? I kind of see him... I don't know if I see him exactly like that, but uh, you got to give the... I'm not a fan of his by any means, but you do got to give him credit because he barely... He's making all these moves that he's literally shooting aces in the hole here and making his... Uh, absolutely very snake-like. You know, his own family members were killed. But you can see from a distance, he's basically a sharp shooter shooting aces in the hole, playing one move against another, playing one family against another. And it's, it's fucked up, but you got to give the guy credit. He's very intelligent. What do you think of this guy? I would say, here's the thing. Peter Baelish, he was a complicated individual to where it was tough to see him as a fully bad character because he would help out randomly in times where it wouldn't make sense if he was fully evil. I think Laris Strong is the absolute worst of Peter Baelish. You took all of Peter Baelish's bad and worst qualities and just quantified that alone without the weird times that he would help out where he'd be a pseudo good guy in a way. Then I think you've got Laris Strong. He's as intelligent and as, you know, snake-like as Peter Baelish at his worst. But he's also now in more of a position of power, which is kind of funny because, if I'm not mistaken, doesn't Tywin Lannister give uh, Peter Baelish Harrenhal? Like, I, I think, I think, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. So, like, that's yeah. kind of funny little parallel. Yeah, a little parallel there because he's uh, Laura Strong is the Lord of Harrenhal, and Peter Baelish ends up, you know, becoming the Lord of Harrenhal underneath Tywin Lannister's decree when Baelish helped him out. But, uh, you know, it's just. I, I do see similarities in their characters, but I do feel as if Lara Strong is fully self-serving, fully trying. Because at any point in time, and the way he interacts with the Queen, and I don't want to give too much away now because there's other times that are, that are to come in the next few weeks where he interacts with the Queen and tries to almost convince her to do things that she probably doesn't need to do. It's, it's as if he's getting leverage against the queen in a way and, and that's the way i take it is yes he's helping her out and and doing things for her but also 
they're they're so secretive that these are things that he can eventually hold over her head if he chooses to do so. So like the the whole fact of them, like you mentioned, he ended up killing his father and his brother, not directly, but he set up the plan when he released those prisoners from the the dungeons and the and the black cells and cut out their tongues so they could never speak about what they were about to do. He set up the death of his brother and his father, right? So. He he said he and he did that in and when he mentioned what he did to Alice and Alice says I never asked for this and he mentioned basically he said he did it in the service of of his queen which is her so he's got all these things and, and eventually when he does more and more things for her like quote unquote for her because she doesn't necessarily ask for these things to be done right. she makes a little bit of an illusion of when she's in a spot of anger or she feels trapped or feels like things aren't going her way she says things quickly without really thinking and he takes them as literal and now it's almost as if he's going to he's going to help her and he's going to make himself indispensable to the crown but i also believe he's gathering a bunch of stuff that he can hold over her head and drop it on her like a pile of bricks if he makes a demand and she doesn't end up meeting a demand i think that could be something that plays up later on too and i may be overthinking that but i really do think he's that kind of guy that would do something of that nature what do you think honestly what's an interesting thought here is you know we're kind of looking at this directly like you know um you know one team's gonna go against another team it would be very interesting if they flip the switch and it is like one team against another team but a major like chess piece uh that really is like the guy that is the big problem even though we're kind of thinking and you know it's one guy that looks badass against another it would be very interesting because this is very game of thrones-esque i would say look at ramsey bolton no one was really thinking of him for the longest time when joffrey <laughs> joffrey lannister was the king that was first the off it's joffrey baratheon even though he was yeah, technically Joff- a lannister well, we know exactly who he yeah. fucking was <laughs> joffrey baratheon good good point though yeah sorry joffrey baratheon technically you're exactly the quotations you're right he was a lannister for sure but took you know he ruled as the king as joffrey baratheon (laughs) yeah absolutely 100 agree 100 percent agree what's funny is i almost said baratheon and i kept thinking of you know we keep talking about you know brother and sister so (laughs) that went through my mind but anyway point being is it'd be interesting if they flip the switch Ramsey, I think he's a sick guy, but, you know, talk about a badass villain. So it'd be very interesting if that's the way they went. But so back on track here. So Corley's uh, goes over to Lacerys and he's talking to him as uh, Balin Valarian. She's the little girl. This was a cute scene. She grabs uh, Lucerys' hand um, at this point. And he's kind of like comforting her. And they're there for each other. And Corlys approaches and says, Both my seat and high tide will be yours one day, Lucerys. Your brother will be king, of course. He'll sit on endless councils and ceremonies, but Lord of the Tides rules the sea. Lucerys says, Sorry, I don't want it. We've heard that before. Just thought that was interesting. <laughs> We've heard that by people before. Um, Corley says, It's your birthright, lad. Lucerys, if I'm the Lord of Driftmark, it means everyone's dead. And you're kind of, I kind of sided with Lou Series here. I like the way he thinks because 
it kind of, in my opinion, makes me think even as a child, he kind of sits back and looks at what's best for the people first. What do you think? Yeah, I also think he's a scared child, you know? And what is he, 13 years old, maybe younger at this point in time? Mm -hmm. I'm not exactly sure of the age, but he realizes that he's probably out of his depth, you know? Uh, If everything, if everyone just ended up dying and it was left to him, to your point, maybe he's thinking, I don't think I would be able to do as good as a job as as you, you know, grandfather Corlys, (laughs) you know? So. I, I definitely believe there's a little bit of childlike aspect to it, and maybe he thinks about the best of his people, but it definitely, to me, it more so gave me the I'm not ready for this vibe more so than I, I'm i thinking about my people, you know? Yeah, it makes sense. And then at this point, we have kind of this moment here. Eamon begins to walk up to Jace for a second, and... You almost think they're going to get along for a minute and he's going to offer his condolences, but he stops and then decides to turn away without saying anything. Foreshadowing at its finest. Yeah. It's funny, too, because I I almost wrote the same exact thing down. I said, Eamon looks like he's going to be friendly to Jace, but ends up walking off when he couldn't find the words. Like, that's that's exactly what happened. And, you know, there's a strength relationship between Aegon, Eamon, Helena, and... Lucerus, Jaceris, and I'm assuming Joffrey by extension, but Joffrey's still a baby at this time. So, uh, yeah, yeah, no, that, that's how I feel too. Yeah. Um, so then Damon actually, keep in mind, this has been years uh, since he's seen her, makes eye contact with Rhaenyra. So that's that's a big moment there. And then Lenor, he's crying in the ocean. I don't know. Was he? Do you think he was about to like commit suicide down there? He was like crying in the ocean. He was, he was not doing well, man. I truly don't know what that was about. I don't know if it was him just being inconsolable and sad in the sea, or if he was trying to harm himself. I don't necessarily think that would be the case because he was just standing there. It wasn't that he was trying to jump under the water and hold his breath. He was just standing there. But then at the same time, maybe. He could get hypothermia and and you know have an issue because obviously when someone goes and helps him, you know there's bodily reactions to when something's cold. But uh, yeah, I don't I don't know I don't know if he was actively looking to harm himself or as he was just so inconsolable at the thought of his sister's death that he just wanted to be there in the sea where she was just dropped into and just feel his emotions. I truly couldn't tell you. Yeah. I'm- not sure, but uh, Corley's is not happy. He's no, not he's happy. no, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He's not happy, and he tells Sir Carl angrily, "Retreat to your Patreon," <laughs> and basically like bring him back. Like I don't know if he thought he was causing a scene. Uh, you know, he could cause problems for the family heritage if he might hurt himself or what was going on. Uh, I don't know, but he wasn't happy about it. But then Viserys approaches Damon for the first time in years. So this is interesting because remember last time we talked about <laughs> Viserys, you know, he was basically like, get out of my sight. I never want to see you again. And Viserys says, your girls are the very image of their mother, a comfort and an anguish. As I well remember, the gods can be cruel. <laughs> Classic Damon looks at his own brother and says, it seems they've been especially cruel to you. <laughs> and Viserys is not looking good, man. He's gotten older. 
He is getting sicker, just not good. And Viserys just says, yes, you should return to us with King's Landing. It is time you came home. And Damon says, Pentos is my home and that of my children. Viserys, Damon, I know we've had our differences, but let them pass with the years. There is a place for you in my court, if that's something you should need. Damon, I need nothing. And then he begins to walk off, but he stops by Otto Hightower. And Otto says, I'm sorry for your loss, my prince. And Damon says, no matter how far the leech grows, it always wants for another meal. <laughs> Good for you, Damon. <laughs> Good for you. I thought it was great. So then Rhaenyra tells her kids she is going to bed. And interesting, follows Damon out. So uh, back to the series two, though. He's looking at Alicent as he begins to leave. And you can tell something's not right because he says, I'm going to bed, Emma. So I, if, what do you think? Do you think he's like hallucinating, delirious, getting sicker? What do you think of this? I think it, he's starting to lose his mind a bit in, in terms of maybe dementia or becoming senile. Because Emma was the name of his wife that passed away in episode one. You know, when they tried to cut out the baby and she bled out and the baby ended up dying too. That was Queen Emma. So he's been married to Alicent for years now, right? And then well over, what, I would say 10, 12 years? Because there was a 10-year gap between you know episode 5 and episode 6. So they've been married for at least 10, 12 years, somewhere in that period of time. And, you know, you think you'd after a decade and a half or so, you'd know the name of your queen right the name, the name of your wife so the fact that he yeah. walked by and called her emma it just shows that he's deteriorating in my mind i think he's deteriorating the de- dementia is starting to set in and he's starting not to recognize things and it's a slow it's a slow burn it's not something that's all going to drop right at once so uh yeah that that's my thought on it absolutely i agree um even sir harold says uh shall i see after queen allison your grace and the series says no Sir Harold, almost like he's just doesn't know what's going on. But so at this point, then we go down to Akon is like drunk on the castle stairs, man. What a way to share your condolences. Passed out on the castle stairs, baby. <laughs> uh, so and then Otto picks him up pissed uh, and says, get to bed <laughs> as Eamon is then watching his brother. Basically, he just you know have out of control man just out of control uh and then sir carl finally arrives and drags lanor up the castle stairs and then at this moment it's dark outside and aemon hears this big dragon roar and it's vagar in the night sky roaring behemoth vagar uh that lena used to ride so corlys and rainis are arguing whether Damon made the choice to have Lena die. Corlys takes Damon's side despite Rhaenys' opinion that Lena needed more maesters there. And why do you think it is that Rhaenys really isn't taking Damon's side here? Because she knows Damon, <laughs> knows Damon's very self-serving and that, you know, she basically blames him for being in Pentos in the first place. She feels as if Pentos is a third world society whose maesters aren't as accomplished as their own and believes that if 
she was here in, in Driftmark, it would have made a difference because she believes their maesters are better and could have could have figured it out and got the baby out. And that's where Corlys is like, no, that this would have happened regardless. The ma- the maesters in Pentos are just as accomplished as the maesters here in Driftmark. You know, you're you're looking to pass blame on somebody for an act of the gods. You know, that's kind of what he tells her. So, I just think she knows who Damon is. He already had his first wife killed, uh, <laughs> Rhea Royce, and you know that's kind of a rumor that's floating around the kingdom. And now all of a sudden, not too much longer after that, his second wife dies. It's you know, some would call that a coincidence, some would call that a common denominator, but uh, yeah, I, I think that, it's not that Rainey says anything against him, I think she's just skeptic- skeptical because she knows who he is as a person, and he will always choose himself over anyone else. Yeah, absolutely agree. Uh, so Rhaenys wants Driftmark to pass through Lena's line to Bela and have Lainor, uh, because they are true Valarian blood, and she wants it declared in front of everyone. And Rhaenys tells Corlys that Laenor can be the king consort. Rhaenys says, We are both alone here, husband. You can speak the truth. Rhaenyra's children are not of your blood, but Lena's are. They are her legacy. So, big problem here that we've talked about for the past couple episodes starting to come into play. Corlys says, History does not remember blood. It remembers names. And Corlys then, like, pulls away at her. And what do you think? Do you think Corlys cares more about reputation than his bloodline? Because it's very interesting with some of his other family members and the way the Valarians are. Yeah, I, I've made that point on past episodes, too. Uh, I, I do think that. And I even wrote down the entirety of their dialogue between each other because I thought it was important. It kind of supports my point that I made about Corlys about the, the series of him caring more about his legacy than you know the right the quote-unquote right and correct true way of things you know and this is this is a great great way to to get on this rainy says maybe the gods have scorned us for our insatiable pride and corliss responds the crown was yours until those fools at the great council plucked it from your head is it such a terrible thing for your husband to wish it wish to win it back and rainy's mentions tonight of all nights let us lay aside this falsehood it is not justice for your wife that drives you it is your own ambition Tis desire for the throne, if not for yourself, then for the scions of your house. I gave up the idea of wearing a crown a generation ago. It is you, Lord Husband, who refuses to abandon this pursuit, even now at the cost of our children. And Corlys says, what is this brief mortal life, if not the pursuit of legacy? And Rainey says, legacy may be why you live your life, Corlys. I want Driftmark to pass through Lena's line to Bela, to true Valarian blood. Declare it now while all are gathered here, and we will say that this is how we will honor Lena's memory. Corlys replies, and disinherit our son? Rainey says, he will be the king consort. His son, they will, his son will one day sit the Iron Throne. And Corlys replies back, you would have me cast an even darker shadow over those little boys than already exists? And this is the part Chase was talking about. Rainey's responds, we are alone here, husband. You can speak the plain truth as we both know it. Rhaenyra's children are not of your blood. Elena's are. They are her legacy. And Corliss responds, history does not remember blood. It remembers names. So yeah, to me, he doesn't give a shit that these kids aren't any way related to him. He just cares that they have the Valarian name. That's all that matters to him. Like he, he says it himself. History does not remember blood. It remembers names. And so we're going to see a little conflict inside the Valarian house of 
you know, some people really want blood to be the main driving factor of the future of their house, and some want names to be the uh, the driving factor of the future of their house. So, yeah. That, with that being said, I'll, I'll turn it back over to you. Absolutely. So, Rhaenyra that followed out Damon. Uh, so she's walking with Damon on the beach, and she tells Damon that Lainor tried to have a child with her, but it didn't work. And uh, Damon starts asking her about some of these rumors. So. Rhaenyra says, Lenor has been restless for years, but now he will be useless or worse. I know better than anyone that our marriage is a farce, but I at least make the effort to maintain appearances. Damon, you have more to lose. Rhaenyra, yes. Well, that has been my lot since my father named me here. We did try to conceive a child. We performed our duty as best as we could, but to no avail. There was no joy in it. I found that elsewhere. It felt good to be desired. Damon, I understand Sir Harwin was quite devoted to you. Rhaenyra, yes, he was, and I trusted him. Should have forbidden Sir Harwin from returning to the Riverlands. Harwin's curse is said to be as strong now as it was after conquest. Damon, that's a ghost story. One Sir Otto and Queen would gladly exploit. Rhaenyra, I do not believe Alicent capable of cold murder. Damon, each of us is capable of depravity, and more than you would believe. Rhaenyra, I believe you. If you're accusing me of some depravity, you'll need to be more specific, Rhaenyra. I've been alone. You abandoned me. Damon says, I spared you. You were a child. Rhaenyra, yes, yes. I was a child. Look at what my life became without you. Droll tragedy. Damon, oh, and wonder what you think of mine by comparison. Rhaenyra, I know little of it. Did you love her? Damon, we were happy enough. Well, that in itself is a great achievement. I'm sorry. Don't be. I am at least allowed to mourn my own losses. Slowly, Rhaenyra starts to place her hand on Damon's chest, and Rhaenyra says, I am no longer a child. She leans in and kisses Damon and begins to embrace him and says, whispers, I want you. And then Rhaenyra and Damon, for the first time, uh, are getting together and uh, finally together forever, I guess. (laughs) So it was an interesting scene. What do you think? Do you think just all this like emotion that they've had between the two over all these years finally just built up and they really have longed for each other or do you think this was just like maybe damon was mourning what he had with lena uh what do you think of this i think uh, neither of those things I, I do think that their sexual tension finally boiled over to this this night of passion here and we're, we're going to see how this connects going forward what I did want to take away first before I answer that directly is like, how disrespectful is this? He's there mourning his own <laughs> wife's death at the Valarian's household. Like the, they're at Driftmark. You are putting to rest your wife, their daughter, their relative, and you're sleeping with your cousin, your niece, right on the beach where anyone can see you. And you just <laughs> lay, you just laid your old wife to rest like, 
I don't know, an hour or two ago? <laughs> like, what the hell is this? It's so disrespectful. Imagine any of the Valarians coming out and seeing this. They'd have Damon's head on a spike. Like, this is crazy. Like, I don't know, man. It's not, the level of disrespect was wild. They decided to sit there and openly have sex with each other within hours of laying his other wife yeah. to rest. That's crazy. But to your original point of what you asked me about, I do believe it's more so... I think it's it's Damon's plan, and I, I mentioned this before. It just seems Damon goes from wife to wife and kind of is working his way up along the the what do you call it <clears throat> the lines of uh, of power, <laughs> the lines of power. Because Ray Royce, she started out like that's you know they're in the Vale, that's a stronghold. They're a pretty solid house, right? But then you know she dies and he marries Lena. And the Valarians are the second strongest household in the entire Seven Kingdoms. And so that he went up a nice step up for there. Now, Lena Valarian, she's gone. And what's he do? He takes the top of the top. Like, Rhaenyra is the heir to the Iron Throne. So to me, it's more so a, a plan he's had all along. And now he's able to kind of have that come to fruition. Now, maybe he's had some fleeting feelings for... Rhaenyra over the years, and there's definitely been some sexual tension, obviously going back to the episode where he takes her to the Streets of Silk, and they kind of start initiating some things, and he ends up walking off and not doing the rest of it. I just think it's more so in his plan to get to a level of power that he believes he needs to become a big player in what's to come, and I say this as someone you know who's watched the rest of this entire show all the way through episode 10 on season one so we know what ends up uh, you know you and i know because we've seen what ends up happening and we don't have to give anything away here today but damon starts you know almost i don't want to say taking command of certain things but he he has a plan and i'll just say that and i just think that this is another you know like rung on the ladder just climbing his way up i i yeah that's, <laughs> that's what i think i don't know what do you think I don't know. It's it's so tough to say because at the same time, even based and we won't give anything away here, but even based on past episodes, he still sticks up and defends Rhaenyra. So I think he does have a strong level of connection and chemistry and emotion with her to some degree. But I don't know, man. I just think it seems a little a little tricksy and false to me that this is uh you know this is love <laughs> i don't know man it's think of here's another point too you made an excellent point not only is it like his wife just died tragically like you're at your wife's funeral with everyone there with your wife's family the series is also there that is big literally the last time you saw your own brother he said he didn't want to see you again for this very fucking reason and you don't give a two fucks on the beach man in front of everybody like literally the entire group so, that is against on. this let me let me get, provide a quick correction it's not the last time that Damon saw Viserys because remember okay. Damon showed up to that wedding and just walked up on there pulled yeah, that seat out and cool. sat down so he's been back to King's Landing and, they, and him and Viserys have seen each other since that time they got in a big fight about him deflowering Rhaenyra or like accused allegedly yeah. of deflowering Rhaenyra so it's not like this is the first time since that exact thing happened but I get your point they, they've had you know a little bit of you know discord amongst themselves to where you know Viserys didn't really want Damon around so 
Just want to make sure that we know that's not the exact last time. Chicken pretty hard at that wedding last time I checked. That chicken was being torn apart at that wedding last time I checked. So, but absolutely agree. Yeah, it's not the last time. But point being is just like, like everyone that would not give you a blessing, like this is balls to the wall. Like you, you, you're you got some balls, man. This is, yeah, this is this is dangerous territory you're walking a fine line man you're stepping on the line saying fuck you and stepping back (laughs) that's what's going on but okay so back to where we were here so at this point uh this is it starts to get a really cool moment so aemon back to aemon here he sees vagar sleeping on the sands of driftmark big motherfucker behemoth biggest of all the dragons we've seen this season so far holy shit besides the skull of Beleriand the dread um so and aemon is approaching vagar and vagar stops i'd be terrified motherfucker opens his mouth about to incinerate this motherfucker a child like this child doesn't stand a chance against this dragon and aemon says dohiris vagar vagar Dohiris Vagar, Lykiri, Lykiri, Lykiri. And what this actually means, just so I can clear this up, because you know I'm the High Valyrian guy and Dothraki guy. So the first phrase Aemon actually utters to Vagar, Dohiris, if y'all forget, this is a phrase we hear constantly in our original season Game of Thrones that Jay Nelly and I covered. So if y'all forget, in High Valyrian, the word Dohiris means to serve, or in this instance, he is telling Vagar to obey is basically what he's doing. We heard this, you know, from the series where they say Vlar Dohiris, meaning all men must serve. Also, you can traditional response this is a pretty famous phrase, Vlar Magulius, which means, you know, all men must die, which uh, he came pretty close to that just a second ago. <laughs> but uh, so and then like Kiri at this moment. Uh, what this means is it means to calm down. So he was basically telling him, please, uh, please, you know, not Valar Magulius is what I would say here. But this is amazing. So Eamon climbs on Vigar and is shouting at him. And he's shouting him, Soves, which uh, this is another Soves. high Illyrian word. Soves. Soves. Soves, yeah. sorry. So Soves... Um, which we've actually heard this before, if you forget. Uh, Daenerys used it in season three, and eventually uh, she replaced it with the Dothraki word Valad, which in later seasons, uh, Valad meant horizon. But basically what he's saying is, uh, you know, basically he's encouraging the dragon to fly onward, is what it means. Uh, so Aemon then says, Dohiris Vagars. Uh, so, so Vase over uh, Vagar, then then Vagar takes flight. So Vagar is like shaking and slowly launches off. And what was a really cool moment here is you can see how old Vagar is. Like you can see the holes in Vagar's wings. Uh, she's really slow, and Aemon is still struggling to get up just because how strong she is. And eventually, Aemon safely mounts Vagar, and it was a badass scene. Uh, Vagar is like soaring over the moon. It reminded me a lot of some of the scenes we saw in The Long Night, which that's the good thing about season eight is the visuals were good at some points, some points. Um, so 
then you know he comes back and he's successfully mounted Vagar here and then during this period Bela Valarian wakes up Jace and says someone has stole Vagar and Damon is standing on the beach with Rhaenyra and hears Vagar roaring so we get the sense there's a problem um Vagar then returns with Aemon to Driftmark. One second, because the there's something really yeah. important that Rhaenyra says to Damon when they're watching from the shoreline. When Vagar lands, Rhaenyra asks Damon, who is it? Because remember, Vagar was Lena Valarian's dragon, and she just passed away. They just had her funeral. So she's looking at Damon like, yo, who the hell has Vagar now? That was just your last wife's dragon. Like, who was that? Like, you know, so that's that's going to be something that, that plays in, in a role because maybe in Rhaenyra's mind, it was one of Damon's children because realistically, that's kind of how the succession should have went. Either Bela or Reyna, which are the two Valarian children between Damon and Lena. So either Reyna or Bela should have been the next in line to, to uh, successfully get Vagar to serve them. And that's why Bela says someone has stolen Vagar to Jace because... Yeah, he kind of did. <laughs> he kind of went in there and stuck around. Because at this point, remember, he's he was the only one of the initial children. When I say initial children, I'm talking more like the Targaryen side of stuff. Where, you know, there, there's uh, Luke, there's Jace, there's Aemond, there's Aegon, and there's Helena. Helena has a dragon. Aegon has a dragon. Lucerys has a dragon. Jaceres has a dragon. Aemond was the only one that didn't have a dragon. They did the whole pig thing, you know, to piss him off. And now, I just found this super ironic because... Aemon went from not having any dragon to having the biggest dragon currently in existence. Like, it was a really cool little little full circle swoop the loop there. Did a little, uh, yeah, I thought that was kind of cool, man. But, yeah, I'll, I'll let you continue on. I'll let you take that scene there. Baylor, like you had mentioned, says, it's him. And Aemon says, it's me. Baylor responds, Vagar is my mother's dragon. Aemon re- responds, your mother's dead, and Vagar has a new rider now. And Reyna says, she was mine to claim. Aemon replies, then you should have claimed her. Maybe your cousins can find you a pig to ride. It would suit you. At that point, Reyna runs at Aemond. Aemond throws her to the ground. Bela comes after him next and punches him in the face. Aemond falls and gets back up and punches Bela back in the face, dropping her to the ground. And Aemond says, come at me again, and I'll feed you to my dragon. That's where Jaceris runs up and starts hitting Aemond. And after a few hits, Aemond knocks Jaceris to the ground. And then that's when the smaller boy, Luke, runs up to help and Aemon punches him in the face, knocking him to the ground, screaming. Jaceris then gets back up and pushes Aemon to the ground, and then him, Bela, and Reyna jump on Aemon, and they're all like attacking Aemon three-on-one. Aemon eventually gets them off of him, and Luke runs at him again, and Aemon grabs Luke by the throat and picks up the big rock and says, you will die screaming in flames just as your father did, bastards. And Luke says, my father's still alive. And Aemon turns to Jaceris and says, He doesn't know, does he, Lord Strong? And that's where Jace pulls out the dagger, points at Aemon, and charges him. Aemon throws Luke into Jace, dodges the dagger that Jace is swinging at him, then smashes Jace in the side of the head with the rock, knocking him to the ground, and the knife falls out of Jace's hand. And that's when Aemon lifts the rock over his head, about to smash it down onto Jace, and on the side, Luke picks up the dagger. And Aemon's about to swing that rock, and Jace throws dirt in Aemon's eye, and as Aemon is temporarily disoriented, Luke, the younger brother, runs at him with the dagger, slashes upward, cutting Aemon's eye, which immediately starts pouring blood through his hand, 
as Eamon is covering that side of his face. So that is what I have there. And like he's holding his eye and like blood is just draining through his hands onto the ground. And I'll let you kind of take it from there. Yeah. So then Harold Westerling stops the battle as Eamon is bleeding out of his eye. And then Viserys, we get back to this basically gathering. Uh, and Viserys is blaming his Kingsguard for not keeping watch and letting it happen. And the Maester says, uh, the eye is lost, but Aemon will be okay. And Alicent uh, slaps Aegon's face and is blaming him for staying drunk like he was before when he could have protected Aegon. Which, that's an interesting moment because it makes me wonder, you know, if he wasn't really drunk on the stairs and Otto didn't make him go back to sleep. You know, maybe he could have actually protected him. But Rhaenyra's kids then whisper that Aemon called them bastards. Meanwhile, Viserys then demands Aemon speak the truth. So Alicent begins to blame the boy for having a knife and says, he meant to kill my son. And Rhaenyra claims that her sons were attacked and forced to defend themselves. And a vile insults were brought against them, questioning the legitimacy of her son's birth. And correct me if I'm wrong here. Uh, it was Jace that said he called us bastards. Did I get that right? Um, the series. So I, I didn't have that written down on my end of uh, which one because I didn't just I didn't think it was really important. It just it was that was said out loud that they were. That, yeah. yeah so. Okay. Yeah. But I think that's who it was. But Rhaenyra says, and here's a big point here because I'm going to bring up this big point and this is really important and I'm actually going to back this up with facts from the original Game of Thrones series, because I want you to look at this from two different perspectives. Rhaenyra says, and this is a very big point that a lot of people gloss over. My sons are in line to inherit the Iron Throne, Your Grace. This is the highest of treasons. Pris Aemon must be sharply questioned, so we might learn where he heard such slanders. This is actually really fucked up. And a lot of people gloss over this because in the show in a way it kind of made it seem like it's just question him you know he just needs to be you know, we need to get to the truth of it i'm going to give you some quick examples and then this provides when i rewatched this scene makes me realize Rhaenyra isn't exactly as innocent as she seems really here because i would never take this as justification on how to get this done some people might be confused as thinking this is just to question somebody and really try to get to the cr truth of it. But this is actually, according to Game of Thrones terms in Westeros and Essos, this actually can be another term for torture. Example, we talked about this on the show. Clash of Kings, John chapter 5. Then he sent the Kingsguard to seize his squire. Prince Viserys, different Viserys, says, Chain him in a black cell and question him sharply, Magor commanded. After nine days questioning, the man died. A dance of dragons, Daenerys chapter two. Mercy, thought Danny. They will have the dragon's mercy. I have changed my mind. Question the man sharply. Or I could question the daughter sharply, while as the father looks on. That will ring some names for him. 
This is the only part of actual the Fire and Blood book I'm going to mention. I'm not going to tell you what happens here, but this is just a quote. This is a chapter from Fire and Blood. No fewer than 42 persons stood accused. For those names by Lord Graceford had in turn named others when questioned sharply. This, in context, George Graceford was the Lord Confessor that is a torturer at the time. Quote, none this one grieves to confess, we beg your pardon. So, my point is, do you think they're trying to make everything a little bit more uh, on Rhaenyra's side? Or if you look at it this way, because the next quote from Allison said, over an insult, my son has lost an eye? So, my point is, I think that's fucked up because I'm looking at it that way. Maybe I'm looking at it a wrong way, but I just gave you four examples where that can mean something else. What do you think? I think you're looking too much into it personally, and this is why all of those quotes that you gave us from those those excerpts and, and the passages in the book were not directed towards family. You know, this is right. like like she at the end of the day. Viserys's children, King Viserys's children, Aegon, Aemon, and Helena, they are related directly to Rhaenyra as well. They're technically her brother-in-law and sister-in-law. So I don't believe Rhaenyra is trying to tell Viserys that he needs to torture his son and her brother-in-law. Um, I don't. I don't necessarily <laughs> think that's the case. What I think is trying to happen is she is trying to get. Aemon in a moment of weakness and being pressured by all the people around him and the king pressing him for answers to give up the fact that he heard it from his mother and that Alicent is the one that's spreading these these rumors so that way King Viserys can deal with it that can kind of see Alicent's the one pushing these rumors forward and maybe he can do something to stop it now that he knows it's coming from her that's my interpretation is that she's trying to utilize this moment and question him hard, question him in front of all these people, pressure him right now, and he will crack and tell you exactly where he heard that these kids were bastards from, and it would be his mother, and then her mother, like the queen, would be in some deep shit. That's, I think that's what Rhaenyra wants. I don't really necessarily think that she is saying that because she intends to have Aemon tortured, you know, the king's son and her brother-in-law. I, I don't see that. That's just my own opinion. I could see that, except for that one line afterwards where Alicent says, over an insult, my son has lost an eye because he's already being questioned by Viserys and everyone there where he heard these things. So it could be. I mean, you know, I'm going to tend to side more in Rhaenyra's favor and just say, I just think it's very interesting. That's why I wanted to bring it up because... It'd be one thing if this was just some random dictionary where I took that from. I just think it's interesting how maybe that I think they definitely could have toned it down for the show um, or she might not be necessarily meaning that here. But that word is very just thrown around. Question sharply. Question sharply. Well, here, now, here's another it'd thing. be interesting. Yeah, here's another thing on, on like the, me trying to, to defend the point that I brought there. I mean, yeah. Viserys is known as the peaceful, right? Does she really think that she's going to get him to do anything? And and when she says that, Allison says, my son has lost an eye, like that already happened because of the little fight down below in the, in the little scuffle. It's not like she's saying, 
that we're going to take his eye to question him. You know, it's already lost. He already lost it. So I think it was more along the lines of Allison's like, dude, he's already, yeah, he's already suffered this huge injury and you're, you're trying to make it seem like it, it's, it's his fault here. And I, I think it's more along those lines. than I, I think Rainier is trying to make sure that Jason and Luke don't get in any sort of trouble. And Allison's trying to be like, no, like someone needs to answer for this. And Rainier's like, well, no, someone needs to answer for where they heard this shit to make it to get to this point in the first place. So I think it's a little bit of like a, a chess match between Allison and Rhaenyra of them like, like low-key insinuating that the other has done something wrong. Allison insinuating that Rhaenyra has had bastard children. Rhaenyra insinuating that Allison's the one spreading the rumors that they are bastard children. That's what I think. Could be. It's, yeah, interesting. Um, so Viserys then says, you tell me, boy, where did you hear this lie? Allison says, the insult was training hard bluster. The lot of boys, it was nothing. Viserys, Eamon, I asked you a question, Allison. Where is Sir Lainor, I wonder? The boy's father. Perhaps he might have something to say in that matter. Interesting here, because it's kind of like, you know, Rhaenyra kind of diverts the situation. Viserys says, yes, where is Sir Lainor? And she goes, I do not know, Your Grace. I could not find sleep. I had gone to walk. So it makes me wonder, do you think she was covering up for Lainor here because he was really drunk, or she doesn't want anyone to really question the situation that's going on? Neither. I think she was covering her own ass because she was out fucking Damon when she wasn't supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's very interesting how we see this pattern with Rhaenyra. She, yeah. So that's all I'll say about that. But, uh, so Allison says entertaining his young squires i would venture and viserys says aemon look at me your king demands an answer who spoke these lies to you aemon says it was aegon viserys says and you boy where did you hear such calamities to aegon aegon tell me the truth of it aegon says we know father everyone knows just look at them and no one says anything. And this, you could hear a damn pin drop in this moment, Bro, if you ask me. I thought like, the same I was thing. Like, that was crazy. I even said right here, I, I said it was crazy for Aegon to just put it out there like that. The whole room went silent like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, it was, you could, so, yeah. Yeah, side note, I don't want this to drag out with time or anything, but I think this is an important moment to talk about this. Why is it Viserys just chooses to be blinded by the situation? Like, he's the only one. This is a big point here because Aegon says everyone knows this. Everyone knows this, and they're not saying it because they're like, you know, what, we'll look past it at the moment, whatever. You're the king. But Viserys is the only one that's, like, blind to this situation. I mean, it just it seems like it's willful ignorance. He wants to... I, I Obviously, he doesn't want to ruffle any feathers. You know, he's kept this kingdom at a long piece, you know, and before Viserys, it was Jaehaerys before him, and Jaehaerys, between the ages of when he took the throne to when he died, had a really long period of peace underneath Jaehaerys, and Viserys continued that, and I think it's almost calculated in a way to where, obviously, I don't think he wants to believe it as her father, but we've also seen him before not necessarily take her word and and just leave it like that because even though she said that she didn't sleep with Damon, he still made her drink that damn tea, you know? So yeah. it's, it's like, I don't know if he trusts her blindly. 
I think it, it's a mixture of he doesn't want to believe it as her father, but also realizes how that could fucking destabilize the realm if it came out that her children are illegitimate. And it's already a fucked up situation as it is, because this would be the first time where there will be a ruling queen because Rhaenyra is the heir. So that's already going to cause a little bit of tension. Now, on top of that, her children are bastards and they're not true born. That's the, you know, I, I think it has a little bit to do with that too. So, yeah, absolutely. So then Viserys at this moment says, the interminable infighting must cease. All of you, we are family. Now make your apologies and show goodwill to one another. Your father, your grandsire, your king demand it, demands it. I'm starting to kind of feel sorry for Viserys in this moment. And that, you know, we kind of see a pattern of that, especially with an episode you'll talk about next week. Allison says, this is insufficient. Aemon has been damaged permanently, my king. Goodwill cannot make him whole. And Viserys says, I know Alicent, but I cannot restore his eye. Alicent says, no, because it's been taken. Viserys, what would you have me do? Alicent, there is a debt to be paid. I shall have one of her son's eye in return. Okay, this is where I definitely don't agree with Alicent here, but all right. And Viserys says, my dear wife, Alicent. He is your son, Viserys. Allison, your blood. Viserys, do not allow your temper to guide your judgment. Allison, if the king will not see justice, the queen will. Sir Criston, bring me the eye of Lucerys Valerian. He can choose which eye of privilege he did not grant my son. Rhaenyra, you will do no such thing. Viserys, stay your hand. Allison, no, you swore to me. Kristen Cole, as your protector, my queen, and then stops. A lot of respect for Kristen Cole here to go against her, but Viserys at this point says, Alicent, this matter is finished. Do you understand? And Alicent is in tears and anger at this point. And and um Viserys says, Let it be known. Any let it be known. Anyone who dares, tongue dares to question the birth of Princess Rhaenyra's son should have it removed. Then Viserys looks at Alicent. Rhaenyra, thank you, father. And Alicent grabs the cat's paw dagger and runs and grabs it from Viserys' holster and marches at Rhaenyra. And Sir Harold tells Kristen Cole to stand down, but he runs to save Alicent while Damon runs in front to save Rhaenyra. And Rhaenyra says, you've gone too far, and grabs Alicent's hand with the dagger facing her. Alicent says, what have I done but what was expected of me, forever upholding the kingdom, the family, the law, while you flout out all to do as you please? Where is your duty? Where is your sacrifice? It's trampled under your pretty foot again. Viserys says, Alicent, let her go. Otto, release the blade, Alicent. Alicent, and now you take my son's eye, and to even that you feel entitled. Rhaenyra, exhausting, wasn't it? hiding beneath the cloak of your own righteousness. But now they see you as you are. And Alicent pulls the knife down, and it cuts Rhaenyra's arm. And Rhaenyra is bleeding on the ground. Uh, the blood is dropping on the ground as she's holding the cat's ball dagger where she's caught it in the other hand. And then she drops the dagger on the ground. Aemon turns to Alicent and says, Do not mourn me, mother. It was a fair exchange. I may have lost an eye, but I gained a dragon. Oh shit moment. 
But uh, and then Viserys says, "This proceeding is at an end." And I you thought can that it was kind of cool when um, he said that quote. Eamon said about the fair exchange. The camera pans to Otto, and you can see Otto's face. He's like impressed with Eamon in that moment. He was like, "Oh shit, okay." He knows he knows the game, you know. Yeah, it was a fair exchange, and we'll hear him explain that a little bit later on in, in this episode but i just thought it was really cool the camera panned to auto and you can see visibly that he was impressed with what Eamon said there in that moment being the age that Eamon is and what just happened to him you know of losing that eye it's really cool yeah so at this moment then Otto goes to visit allison and allison is apologizing for assaulting rhaenyra and losing her composure but Otto praises her to her surprise because he doubted that she ever had the determination to stand up to Rhaenyra. And Otto tells Rhaenyra that they play an ugly game and to plead Aemon's injury to Viserys and he will forgive her and cling to her passions. But Otto says claiming Vagar was worth more than the price he paid losing an eye, Aemon. So pretty powerful moment there. Yeah, I actually have um, that entire dialogue that I want to run through real quick because I, this it. is a really important thing to me in my mind, speaking between Otto and Alicent, because... We can see that they have a different mindset than the king in terms of what's right and what's wrong. And, and you're going to see how this is going to play later on. But basically, to start here in this dialogue, Alicent tells, when Otto goes to see Alicent in her quarters, Alicent tells Otto, hey, say your piece. Otto says, now what piece is that? Alicent replies, I've conducted myself in a manner unbefitting my station or any other. I lost composure, assaulted the princess. Already the word is spreading. The gossip is speculating that I have gone mad. And Otto says, all true. Allison continues, I disgraced myself and ensured my husband's favor will forever rest on her. And Otto replies, and yet, I've never seen that side of you, my daughter. I even doubted its existence. Allison replies, it was an ugly thing. I regret it. Otto, we play an ugly game. And now for the first time, I see that you have the determination to win it. Allison replies, Rhaenyra, Otto says, you see her for what she is, what the king's stubbornness had wrought. Allison asks, what will he say to me? Otto says, he'll forgive you. What else can he do? Now go to him, be penitent, plead the injury to your son, keep a grip on your passions, and I promise you in time, you and I together will prevail. What that rogue Aemon has done in winning Vagar to our side, the boy was right. It's worth a thousand times the price he paid. And the reason I want to read that dialogue, he says, you and I together will prevail. So meaning he's got a whole different plan and a plot with her on the side than you know his station allows him to have. He's the hand of the king. He's supposed to be anything the king says goes. And he's sitting there making secret plots saying her, him and his daughter are going to prevail this whole thing. So that I thought that was definitely important to uh, notate and, and go through. But I'll let you go ahead and take it from there. Absolutely. So Lenor, he's, you know, I guess he's gotten over his hangover. He meets with Rhaenyra alone. And Lenor says, I should have been there. Rhaenyra, that should have been our house words. And then Rhaenyra tells Lenor that Aemon called their kids bastards. And Lenor apologizes for not being there for her and not being, uh, you know, not uh, being the situation that would work uh, for being straight. And Leonor says that a mutual agreement they had to pursue their own passions sometimes cannot mutually exist and tells Rhaenyra that Carl will return to fighting in the Stepstones, but he is recommitting himself to her and strengthening their house as they prepare for her ascension. He says, you deserve better. 
than what I have been. You deserve a husband. And uh, then they wind up all heading back to King's Landing, and Viserys is extremely sick, and he's getting worse. Vagar and the other dragons are flying over the ocean. It's a great scene. And then Larry's strong uh, creep meets with Alicent in the ship, and, and Alicent tells Larry's that a day will come when she will need his skill and discretion. And Larry says, I shall await your call, my queen. Rhaenyra asks for Damon's help. And she says, Cast the Maybrigan ghost on Dior. I cannot face the greens alone. And this is on the side of the beach. Rhaenyra says, Everon you grieven de Cagoon. Let us bind our blood. Rhaenyra, I have both Renisi, Wamdair, Varamon, just as Aegon the Conqueror did with his sisters. Rhaenyra, Nehusi Seborsi Vamor Uma Meste Rume with you as my husband and prince consort, Rhaenyra. Nehuse Drivas Nehupso Se Felix Dior. My claim to the throne would not be so easily challenged. Rhaenyra Valerian Vonyaris. The Valerians are of the sea. Rhaenyra in Adonike, but you and I, Rhaenyra. Prazunius Ixi are made of fire. Rhaenyra. Entranio Hymira Nejat Zalagon and Alquintus. We have always been meant to burn together. Damon. We could not marry unless Lenor were dead. Rhaenyra. I know. Then we have the scene where Damon goes and sees Sir Carl. And Damon says, I've heard about your exports in the Stepstones, Sir Carl. Said to be a knight of remarkable skill, but alas, common born, you're a land lass knight with a lord's taste, Sir Carl. Sir Lanor's been kind to me. Damon, do you know there are places across the narrow sea where it doesn't matter what a man's name is, only how much gold he possesses, Sir Carl? What are you asking of me, my lord? Damon, a quick death, one with witnesses. And then Damon hands Carl a bag of gold and leaves. Rhaenyra says, I will not be a tyrant and rule through terror. Damon, a tyrant rules only through terror. If the king isn't feared, he is powerless. If you are to be a strong queen, you must cultivate love and respect, yes, but your subjects must fear you. And then we have the scene of Damon sneaking into the castle of Driftmark and restraining a man and putting him to sleep. And then Sir Carl approaches Lenor. And Lenor questions his appearance in his father's hall. Sir Carl, you have always looked down on me. Rhaenyra, I do love Lenor, Damon. Then grant him this kindness, set him free. Carl draws his sword, and Lenor draws his. Lenor says, You forget yourself. And then Lenor draws his sword as Carl punches him and strikes him down repeatedly backing Lenor up against the fireplace. Corlys, Rhaenys, and the Driftward soldiers follow the commotion. Rhaenyra says, This will cost Lord Corlys and Princess Rhaenys their only remaining child, and the realm will whisper that I was somehow responsible. Damon, let them whisper. Then we see a body is pulled out of the fireplace and burned. Damon says, We all know the truth of it, but our enemies won't. 
Rainey screams and Corlys yells at the guard. How could you let this happen in my fucking hall? Rhaenyra, back with Damon, says they will fear whatever else we might be capable of. Rhaenyra and Damon then make a blood oath pact and get married on a ceremony. And then Sir Carl waits in a canoe outside of Driftmark as a hooded figure runs towards the boat and the hooded man gets in the boat, pulls back his hood, and it's Lanor with a shaved head. And the episode ends. Yeah, there was a couple things I wanted to just put in and, and add that I thought were interesting. When Damon is having that conversation with Sir Carl, he says, What are you asking of me, my lord? And all that, that reminds me of the time where Tywin Lannister had Arya Stark in Harrenhal as her, has his cupbearer, and she was saying, my lord, and that's how he figured out that she was highborn and not lowborn, because commonborns use my lord. And just like Damon was talking about Sir Carl, he told Sir, like, Sir Carl just him as my lord because Sir Carl's commonborn. So I thought that was a cool little parallel to draw there. Um, and then on top of that as well, to kind of continue on down, there wasn't even just a commotion that caused Corlys and Rhaenys to come into the fireplace room where that burnt body was. Remember, there was a little boy that was walking with Laenor, and he ran to go get people himself. They planned it out perfectly because, you know, who knows what would have happened if the boy himself didn't say, hey, Laenor is the one fighting. Because if they just see a burnt body, they don't know that it, it's Laenor. So the fact that the little boy can kind of tell them exactly what started and what happened while he ran and got them, they come back and they already assume that body in the in the fire. So I thought that was mildly important as well. Then there, this, the the marriage that Damon and Rhaenyra are taking place and I thought it was kind of cool because they, they're in marriage clothing, they're cutting their lips, they're cutting their hands open, and they hold hands and kiss where their blood mixes with each other and that symbolizes them coming together as one. And they are performing the ceremony with Bela, Reyna, Jace, and Lucerus watching, which to me is wild because Bela and Reyna are Lena Valarian's children, and they just put her to rest. I don't know how long this episode is supposed to take. Over a couple, is it a couple weeks period? Is it a month period? I don't know. Regardless, their mother just died, and they're watching their father marry another woman right now in front of them. It's really, really strange, but. Uh, those are just the other things I wanted to add to it uh, on that end. But give me an idea of what your takeaways were uh, for the episode. Yeah, I thought it was good. It's really setting up a lot of pieces is what I got, like kind of like a chessboard to make sure we're building up towards the climax here. I also thought of something interesting. Um, when Remember we were talking about uh, Helena and her dreams. One thing I was thinking of when it says hand turns loom, I was thinking that could actually... I was thinking maybe Otto, maybe that means that he's turning a leaf and kind of setting up pieces on the chessboard for the two fractions of war. So just a thought I kind of was thinking there as I started thinking back at it. Um, but yeah, this really sets the tone for where we're going. Uh, you know, kind of really, really setting up the side almost of the greens, I guess, if you want to call them that. Um, and really, I guess, I don't know. It's hard for me to say whether this is the big kind of icing on the cake for Alicent and Rhaenyra to, I think there's another moment later on. Definitely. Absolutely. But this definitely doesn't help it. Absolutely. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, you just uh, basically what I took away from it is it was kind of more of a filler episode, but you have some really big pieces that are setting the tone for later on. So there wasn't like a whole lot of action or anything, but the writing was really well done. And it's definitely big building blocks that you couldn't have where we're going without this moment here. And we don't want to give anything away, but uh, I think this episode established that this is really a big stepping stone for the greens, you would say, I would say, because really the, you know, Rhaenyra and Damon, uh, even though they kind of got together at the end there and kind of are trying to form an alliance, you would say, I think they've always kind of had, you know, passion for each other, but you know, Lena's dead, you know, the Valarians are all over the place you have Lenor that you know they're faking his death now so he's literally sailing away in a canoe so Corley's is freaking the fuck out with Rainies. so like everything is this this moment here really in a way yeah Eamon lost an eye but it's kind of like this catch-22 in my opinion yeah Eamon lost an eye but it's like a sacrifice he made to get the upper hand and right now, in my opinion, the Greens at this moment kind of have the upper hand despite the sacrifices that have been made. What do you think? My takeaways are, I agree to the point where this, it's hard to call any episode just a filler episode, but if there was one that is a filler episode, this would be the closest one to it because we stay on Driftmark the entire time and it's under the the whole deal of it is Lena Valarian's funeral and we're still on Driftmark for however many days the funeral proceeding lasts but you know not it doesn't bounce all over the place and have different people in different areas it's doing different things and we've got to you know keep up with all the the moving chess pieces there and they're all in one spot and it is more of a slower episode but there is a couple high action moments that set the tone for the future with Eamon losing his eye and Lucerus being the one to cut it that's going to be a huge little, uh, what do you call it? A foreshadow between Aemond and <laughs> Lucerus and their relationship going forward. And that's exactly why I really wanted to tackle that part and make sure that everyone understood that Lucerus was the one that cut Aemond's eye because that's going to be a huge thing that plays in and, and why there's a little bit of a conflict between the two. And I won't say much more about that now. So without that, like, there's a lot of things that come up in this episode that I think will come into play later on. Helena with that little riddle that she spoke about the the greens and the blacks and the dragons weaving and all that. I think that's going to come up to play. The fact that Lenor is now set free. He has no more responsibility to be the husband of Rhaenyra and live a lie, so to speak. And I think that's going to play a big role because of, of the outcome now that Rhaenyra is free to, to marry. Obviously, we see that she marries Damon at the end. Overall, in terms of like a rate, a grade on a scale of 1 to 10, I'd probably give this one, I don't know, a 7.9, 8.1, somewhere around in that range. It wasn't my favorite episode, but there was big key moments that I think are huge. Aemond, for yeah. the first time out of everyone, everyone already had a dragon. He was the only one that really didn't have a dragon outside of Lena's children, the, the two women, Bela and Reyna. They were supposed to, Vega were supposed to go to one of them. Reyna uh, specifically, I believe, or Bela specifically, one of them. It's supposed to go to either of those children, and Eamon stole it. But it was interesting because Eamon, he went from them picking on him, bringing out a pig and calling it the Pink Dread, 
to now he's got the biggest, baddest dragon in existence that we know of. So that was a really cool moment. Now Eamon's going to be a big player going forward. When you were just kind of wondering what his character arc was going to be, watching the series, and it seemed like he was the one that kind of got left behind, even though he took the the uh, role of being a prince more seriously than Aegon did. It just seemed that he was almost overlooked in a way. Well, there's no overlooking him now. He's got the biggest dragon and all this thing, all the all the all of all the Targaryens. So, and I guess Valerians too, because Valerians still have Maelys and and Sea Smoke as well. So, anyways, I, it it was a good show overall, good episode overall. It's just it wasn't my favorite of all of them. I think it was more setting things up than a lot of crazy action here specifically. But it wasn't bad. Like I, I, I didn't look at it like, oh, I didn't want to watch that. Because like I said, it had really cool yeah. key moments. And I do believe it does kind of set the tone and start really dividing up who's going to be on what side when conflicts come to a head. So those are my takeaways. What is the rate that you would give it on a 1 to 10? Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't mind it. Like it wasn't like a, just like you said, it wasn't like something like I like if someone put on tv i'd be like i don't want to fucking watch that like turn it off <laughs> like I would, no it was, it was good it was i'll give it an eight one like i think that's fair like i mean because there's never been an episode of house of the dragon so far i've rated lower than an eight so i i mean it was kind of getting there but it was slower but it was it was still good it was still good like i think uh what i really liked about it was the writing was on point and you're kind of starting everything to see everything keep building and building into a breaking point here. So, yeah, I give it an 8-1. I think that's fair. Also, side note, like, how how does it, much does it suck to be a Valarian right now? Like, you were there for Lena's funeral. Now you got to mourn <laughs> Lainor at the end of the episode, too. So, basically, in a span of however long a funeral ceremony lasts, you lost two children. And not just... In, on, I want to say, every, obviously, every child is important. But these are really high-up children of the the succession of Driftmark. Lainor was supposed to take the seat, you know, until Lainor became the king consort to Rhaenyra, so he's obviously going to sit down on the throne, so he's going to pass to Lucerys. But my point being, this is the true-born son of Corlys and Rhaenys, and the true-born daughter of Corlys and Rhaenys. Talking about Lena's funeral, and then now they think Lainor's dead too. So it's like, man, it's got to really suck right now to be a Valarian. They're really, they're really hurting here. I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean... Think of how disrespectful it is, anyways. All this shit has gone down. Like, just like you said, you know, you got Damon and Rhaenyra finally uh, engage in their passion for each other outside your own house when a funeral is going on. And you have this, you know, family gathering that really needs family counseling that has literally everyone gathered in your house trying to suit this out which is openly describing how your bloodline is fucked because we really don't give a shit about it but yet we still want to work out our family problems why your family just had someone die close to them like that's extremely fucked up the valarians got the short end of the stick man it's absolutely disrespectful I feel bad for Viserys because, you know, he's tried to hold this shit together. But, you know, it, I, it's just, it's, they got the short end of the stick. And it, it's really sad. Um, 
What do you think? I think it's fucked up. I mean, I think it's really messed up that they couldn't hold theirself for one meeting back at King's Landing. You got fucking dragons. Go fly your ass over to Dragonstone or King's Landing and short, sort this shit out there. But instead, you call an immediate family meeting to the bottom of Driftmark as a funeral is going on, basically saying, fuck you, Corliss. Fuck you, Vaymon. Fuck you, Rainies, and you know what to top it all off? Your own bloodline, trueborn, firstborn son. Fuck that. We're going to let him do whatever he wants and go sail off with his boyfriend and live life to the fullest. And you know what? We're not even going to tell you guys about it. We're just going to fake his fucking death and say, fuck you guys, cause a big scene in your house. And then we're going to leave you stranded because we really don't give a fuck about you. It was a nice beach, though. The vacation was great. I can't, I can't add too much more to that, man. I think that, that, <laughs> that, that, that kind of that puts it, it in perspective. Shitty. They kind of got the short end of the stick. So, yeah, man, let's, let's go into the debates. What debate do you have for me today? So, my debate today is because, you know, I, I try to sit in the middle here because it's not that I don't like that I you know don't like anyone here it's just like it's hard for me to even I see both sides and what both sides do right and what both sides do wrong and I can see why Rhaenyra is upset for accusations that shouldn't have been brought up because it's no one's business but she kind of does try to always divert the situation but at the same time Allison, it definitely wasn't right that she grabbed the cat's paw dagger from Viserys and tried to stab someone. Uh, but I can see why Allison is getting frustrated because Rhaenyra, as we've talked about multiple times, she kind of diverts everything, just how Allison brought up. Well, let's see what Lenor has to say. And as you mentioned, you know, she kind of diverted the situation away from that. So, like, Alicent's one stand-on could have really been like the whole Valarians that got kept out of this situation in their own house, by the way. So I think a lot of people, my issue is here that a lot of people don't really look from Alicent's perspective as well. I'm not saying Alicent's in the right at all. Don't get me wrong. I don't think it's right to grab a knife, and I don't think it's right the way she responded. However, I can see how she would get finally just fed up and frustrated over the entire situation there. Basically, like, because keep in mind, too, she is the queen still. Like, she is still the queen, and I feel like because Rhaenyra is heir and Viserys is the king, they almost, like, overlook her authority absolutely so when she felt like Kristen cole she commanded him to do something and Kristen cole was like i'm not doing that shit <laughs> he's like the only one that was like i got your back all this time and the minute Kristen cole was like i'm not getting involved in that shit she was like all right i'm taking this into my own hands not saying it's right but whose kind of side do you see is i'm not saying what side is right here but do you see that Allison had a right to be frustrated with Rhaenyra? Absolutely. Uh, I they're both wrong. Honestly, neither of them should be in play for the the throne. If I'm really being honest, <laughs> and I won't go into every single piece of why I feel that way, but just to kind of touch on what happened 
and in this episode and things that have led up to it, you know, prior to this here episode seven, it's just realistically, if Radira just had done her duty properly and somehow, you know, we made a debate about how last week. Rhaenyra could have made her situation easier. Maybe if she was gonna have an affair, how about you have an affair with another Valarian that's you know that likes women? You know that been that would have you really kind of got, went ahead and and solved all the problems because they would look like Lenor, right? So if you're gonna do that, you could have made it a little bit easier herself. So my whole thing is is Rhaenyra painted herself in a corner because she decided that Sir Harwin Strong was the one that she was gonna have an affair with, so that way she could have children. So now you kind of it's a slap in the face of the entire realm to try to make them believe that. These, these, you know, boys of lighter skin color and, and, and just shaggy, dark brown hair are supposed to be related to the Valarians who are very distinctly got these blonde, like, dreadlocks that, that go down and, you know, we obviously know how they appear on screen. So, it, it, Rhaenyra kind of screws everything up and, and it's an insult to the entire kingdom and I can see why Allison's like, yo, we're just gonna let this slide? What the fuck? And then on the op- <laughs> on the opposite side of that too, I I, I get why Rhaenyra would be frustrated with Allison because ever since Otto started playing a a bigger role in towards the future, Allison or Otto has been telling Allison since before the actor changes from episode five to episode six that Aegon everyone knows that Aegon will be king. So Otto and, and Allison are really planning on. I guess I wouldn't say Allison so much as planning, but Otto has been planning on this for a little bit to where, hey, I know right now Rhaenyra is supposed to be the heir here, but we're going to do our own little thing because obviously there can't be a ruling queen. It just doesn't make sense for the realm. So, you know, as much as King Viserys says all this, we're doing our own thing on the side here. So then, <laughs> you know, you're kind of, you can't be for that either because that's some, dis- like, like really, like, you know, disrespectful shit on that end and just kind of, I don't know, deceitful and, it's just both of these sides are just so bad. <laughs> like it's, you know, it, 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 it's tough. So I don't necessarily have an answer for you of, of like, I know like your question was, is Allison have a right to be frustrated? Yes, absolutely. She has a right to be frustrated. I've, obviously I'm not a parent. You're not a parent, but I would assume that if someone caused permanent harm to your child, you're in the moment, especially in the heat of that moment, you're going to want some sort of repayment or like some sort of justice. You know, I'm not saying you're going to try taking out another kid's eye like Allison did. That might have been over at the top. But, hey, can we get some level of punishment, some level of justice? King Viserys just tried to be like, all right, guys, say sorry and, and walk it off. Walk it off. My son lost a fucking eye. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it's honestly, I as much as we give Rhaenyra shit, and as much as we give Allison shit and try to figure out which of the two sides, the blacks or the greens, are more in the right or more in the wrong, I can almost say that we can point the finger at Viserys and say he's the issue the entire time. You know, I think that's a very, yeah. very fair thing because he doesn't take a stand on either side. Sometimes he 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 seems to side with Rhaenyra more than Allison, but he doesn't do so in a way that's so like complete and without question outside of. You know, whoever questions the the you know bloodline of my grandsons will lose that tongue. Whatever, I'm paraphrasing what he said there, but not and not that I guess maybe as a king maybe you don't feel like you need to do this, but there's just been so many times where he could have just really announced the people gathering at, at events and at things and just really reinforced the fact that 
hey, no matter what, I know I had a son, but Rhaenyra is still going to be your ruling queen. That's not going to change. I'm not going to change my mind here. Like, whatever. It just seems that he's so focused on keeping the peace that he is allowing the discord and the tension to grow between the two sides because he's not really taking a firm stand one way or the other. He's leaning. Obviously, you kind of get a little lean towards Rhaenyra's side. But at the same time, like he's allowing Alice and Otto all of this leniency to make decisions for him because he's got his own illness going on and he's not, you know, all there together and he's kind of focusing on trying to stay alive. So he he delegates certain tasks to them, not realizing that Otto has his own like his own agenda. So I you know as much as we want to kind of paint you know who's the bad guy between the greens and the blacks. It's to me, Viserys causes a lot of this himself, and I know that's like a weird answer out of out of all of the options that we have, but that's kind of what I say. I know like the the question was, do I think Allison has the right to be upset? Yes, I do think she's got the right to be upset, but I think there's just a lot of other moving parts onto it, other than just hey, let me answer a yes or no here. Does she have the right to be upset? This yes, she does, but and then just circling everything I just kind of went through, we're just in a whirlwind of where there is right and wrong on both sides, and the common denominator of someone who's not fixing or helping the situation at all is the King Viserys, and that's what I'll say right now. Yeah, I gotta agree with you. I mean, I will say this. Um, I mean, all he had to do, just like you were saying, is re-proclaim Rhaenyra as heir, but then he could have just been like, you know, Jace Lucera's Aemon, Amen for saying your blasphemy, Jace Luceres for getting in a tussle outside. You know, you're all gonna train with Kristen Cole or whoever the fuck is you're gonna train with for like a week and go through hard training, like just like in football or whatever the fuck it is. I remember I got in an argument <laughs> with someone at school one time, and they were like, you know, Chase, you're fucking running today. I know it wasn't your fault, but you're fucking doing it. Like, that's all he had to do was some sort of something. But in my opinion, I feel like he just brushes everything off to the side. He doesn't acknowledge fucking anything. He tries to keep the peace. And in a way, I think it's also because he's, like, afraid of possibly his... What he fears to come true. Like, I think he tries to deny the fact that Rhaenyra's kids are not of Valarian blood. I think he tries to deny that and believe what he wants to believe. And I think he's afraid something will come to the surface where everyone will believe it. And then he'll have to convince himself that it's actually true. I think that's part of it. But at the same time, I do see where Allison is getting fucking frustrated because it's like he did more to the fact, not even the fact of like the whole you know blasphemy situation uh true born not true born whatever but he did nothing like he didn't give a fuck <laughs> like he just like all right say you're sorry i'm sorry you lost an eye and maybe you shouldn't have said th- th- those things and then at the same time you have rhaenyra that at the beginning she like got so offended by this D- let's think of this real quick N- not to keep dragging this out But all Rhaenyra had to do, honestly, like, I don't think it would have gone down this easy, right? But if she had just never brought that up and been like, you know, uh, just ignored it. Like, I know that's not right, 
uh, and you're going to get offended by that. But if she had just ignored that to keep her like secret safe there or whatever, let it go and then talk to Allison and was like, you know, I'm sorry this happened. It got out of hand. I promise it won't happen again. What can I do to try to make it up to you or something? I'm sure it wouldn't have gone down that easy. But if she just didn't even fucking bring that up, but she's the one that like immediately was like, this was caused because they called my son strong. So like, that's exactly what happened. What do you think? Do you think if she had just not brought that up at all, it could have gone down better? No, I, I like the fact that she did that because she was defending her children and making it known that the the queen is that she was. Well, in my opinion, she was trying to allude to the fact that the queen's the one spreading these rumors, which obviously they're not rumors; they're true. But like, like that's the whole thing. She wants the people to know that the queen is responsible for these things, and the king is gonna like obviously because she's the king's daughter. He's gonna refute those claims, and he even said that, like I mentioned a couple times, he said anyone who questions the the bloodline of my grandchildren, they're gonna lose their tongue. So. He's trying to kind of put Allison in a hard. She's she's playing chess to kind of put Allison in a hard place for, because if Aegon says, yeah, obviously I heard it from my mom because you know that's the only place that these children probably would have heard it from, right? I mean, I guess there's other places that they can hear it in the training yard if people are talking, they overhear it. But realistically, they probably heard it from Allison, and that's what they're trying to get. Rhaenyra was trying to get her to uh, get Aemon to say, hey, like you know, she heard it from her mother, and if her mother is guilty of saying that, then. King Viserys has to refute it, and it's like a direct, and it almost strengthens her position with the people. Talking about strengthens Rhaenyra's position with the people. So no, I like the fact that she she mentioned it and brought it up and made it a point to make sure that she was she was making a play, and I think she did the right right thing overall to answer your question. I I can see that. My my point on this side is I don't think there is any either one of them responded correctly in this situation but and i'll leave it at that what's your debate for the day my debate is we start to see sides being taken and we're starting to see people shift to one or the other so i guess my my question to you and then we can debate here is the balance of the scales right now who do you think is is setting themselves up for more success are we thinking that Alicent and her children and Otto are kind of in the lead right now when it comes to, you know, take, like, building up what they're trying to build on their side? Or do we think that Rhaenyra herself on the other side has the balance in her favor? Where do we kind of see with this balance of scales right now between Alicent and Rhaenyra and their, their you know, respective positions? This is an interesting question and the reason i say that is because based on the perspective i think you can argue that one side is over on the other based on whose perspective it is for instance on Otto's perspective i would think just based on even what he said you know aemon lost an eye but the fact that he claimed vagar that is like a gain that you know that that pushed them so far up the ladder from that because think of it, they really, I mean, being realistic, they really, the people on the side, like, let's focus on specifically, like, the high towers. They really never had, like, none of them really rode really any dragons at that point that was, you know, really related to a high tower. And now his, literally his grandsire, Otto, 
Eamon, um, you know, Otto kind of directly has someone that he can kind of influence in a way to kind of go to his favor, in my opinion. Because just like, you know, even Viserys before, even though he was kind of being influenced by him, he still sided with Rhaenyra ultimately and fired Otto. So uh, I think it was a big step up for the Greens. So in Otto's perspective, in Alicent's perspective, especially with now, you know, she's had all this stuff done with Larry's and now Larry's been made Lord of Hightower. I, I think Lord of Harrenhal. And, uh, Lord of Harrenhal. Harrenhal. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Hightower, my bad. Wrong place. Yeah, uh, Larry's Lord of Harrenhal. Um, but all these kind of pieces are moving up the ladder on their side that they see that way to kind of make Aegon prepared to rule and they're disregarding what has always been said from the beginning. Whereas in Rhaenyra's perspective and Damon's, I thought this was a big point you brought up, you know, the fact that they're together now. And now, I mean, I think he really did love, I think Damon really did love Lena for who she was. But now that Lena died and he's not getting blamed for anything, I think he kind of sees it more as a favor to him because now he can be with uh, Rhaenyra that, yes, he's passionate for, but also increases... I, I guess you can say his influence in the situation and also helps his own personal position. Uh, and now Damon and Rhaenyra, since they had this situation with Carl and Lenor, they feel like they have the Valarians under their control because they're kind of in shambles and they're going to control the situation on that side. So I think both sides feel like they have an upper hand I would say, honestly, the score, if we're looking at a score of a game, it's a tie game right now, really. One side, you know, yeah, you you might have scored a touchdown getting Vagar, but the other side just, you know, in the last second just scored one as well. So we're at a tie game in my opinion. What about you? I agree with you. I agree with your end result, the end conclusion there, that right now we're, we're dead even. Because I'm just going to look at it because I don't want to repeat everything you just had mentioned and, and go over the same stuff. But I'm just going to take it from a very basic level here. At the end of this episode, we've got Otto Hightower as the Hand of the King on Alicent's side here. That's a position of power. we got Aemon who has Vagar, which is huge for for their side. And obviously Aegon, you know, he's who he is. He's, supposed, he's their in their mind, the heir to the Iron Throne, even though it's not official. And, you know, obviously, Rhaenyra is supposed to be the, the heir to the Iron Throne. But he's going to have some level of support for him because he's Viserys' first true-born son. So we got those those things working in Alicent's favor. Move it over to Rhaenyra. She is the official heir to the Iron Throne, and houses have already sworn fealty to her. They went to King's Landing and announced their fealty to her as the ruling queen of the seven kingdoms upon Viserys' death. So she's got that going for her that she has all of the, the um, I would say, the documents in order, right? If you look, you look through the paper trail, Rhaenyra is supposed to be the, the one here that's going to take over. And now she added Daemon to the mix as her husband, her right-hand man. Daemon, he is a decorated warrior. 
He was named King of the Narrow Sea after the Battle of the Stepstones. He's been in these kind of situations before. I'm going to take Damon's battle experience over, you know, a larger dragon, I guess I can say, which Vagar's a larger dragon than Caraxes, but Aemond is a boy. You know what I mean? Especially at this point in time. Obviously, come next week, things are a little bit different. But my point being is that it's I I agree. The my long and short of it is I agree. We're at a tie scale here. We got Auto High Tower, which is the second most powerful position in the Seven Kingdoms, on Allison's side. We've got Vagar on Allison's side, which is now written by Aemon. But Aemon's a child. Aegon, he's gonna have some level of support because he's the firstborn male heir. So we got those things working on on Allison's side. But on the other side, Rhaenyra is the official heir to the Iron Throne, and she just added Daemon to the mix as as her husband. And he, out of everyone that is in the in the core group of people is the only one with like wartime experience and i'm gonna take that you know to to at least match the fact that aemon may have gotten vagar and yes that is a huge huge win for the the greens but i also think that that daemon being able to be at the right hand of rhaenyra and now he's got his level of influence is a huge win for rhaenyra or as we would call them the blacks so I, I agree with you at, at your premise is that the, right now to me the scales are even especially right now I'd even say Viserys plays a little bit of a role and he I would say leans more towards Rhaenyra and, and, and Damon's edge you know he doesn't fully throw himself all the way into it and just you know, commit his undying devotion you know what I mean but I would say if you if you put a gun to my head he probably leans more towards Rhaenyra and, and Damon more so than Alicent and Otto so that and that's gonna at least play a role for a little bit until you know whatever he doesn't have a, a role anymore. But uh, yeah, no. Long story short, I agree with your premise. I think we're at a tie game here. Absolutely. Uh, side note: Before we close out, by the way, like is Viserys just like oblivious to all this shit? Like people in his mind, he thinks everything's hunky dory. He thinks we're fine. You know. You know, those are the trueborn. We know Rhaenyra is heir. Yeah, we had a couple of family tussles where, you know, uh, brothers and cousins are mad at each other. But that's just family. You know, that's Thanksgiving dinner. People people get mad and then they get drunk like Aegon, land up on the stairs, and then sometimes people get their eye cut out. That's just normal family stuff. That's just the way it works. What is the deal with this dude? Does he not realize this is causing a major problem in this realm? You know what I think? And this is an interesting, almost reverse psychology type of deal. I think he's trying so hard to make them all just get along with each other without levying any sort of support heavy to one side or the other. Like if we take this one specific scenario with Eamon getting his eye cut, like he doesn't take Alice inside and punish Luceris. But he also doesn't like take Rhaenyra's side and, and agree that that was an acceptable action, and you know. So it, it, I think his biggest fear is that are that his family are not going to come together and they're going to end up with some. He said, like, I'm sick of this interminable infighting, and he. I think his biggest fear is that they are going to go to war against each other, and he's trying to stop that by pretending everything's okay. And I think that is actually what leads to things not being okay is because he wanted to pretend so badly because that's his worst fear is that this family is going to split and they're going to fight amongst each other and, and it's going to be bad. 
And I, that's exactly what ends up happening because he won't take a stand one way or the other. He wants them all to feel like he loves and cares about them equally and that they're together as a family. That is what he wants. But the problem is he's sweeping up every little like transgression under the rug as if it didn't happen. And those little transgressions are leading to splits and more splits inside that family, which are going to lead to the big war, which he wants to avoid in the first place. So he's kind of at fault here, man. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. But yeah, on that note, I'll let you close us out, man. Sounds like a plan, guys. So if this was your first time listening to us, we hope you enjoyed what you heard today. If you've been with us since the beginning, thank you for being the shields that guard the realms of fantasy. If you are looking for where you can find us on social media, where you can follow, click like, subscribe, uh, and just kind of really keep updated with what we've got going on our end. We are on Instagram at official ridiculous Patronus. We are on TikTok at ridiculous Patronus. Backup Instagram at fact underscore or underscore fantasy. Backup TikTok at fact underscore or underscore fantasy. We are on YouTube at ridiculous Patronus. We are on Facebook chasing Josh Factor Fantasy. We're on Twitter RP Factor Fantasy, Snapchat RP factor fantasy and we do have our own site as well ridiculouspatronus.blogspot.com so go ahead and follow us along there and in terms of where you can listen to the podcast specifically if you're an apple user we are on itunes we're on apple Podcasts. if you're an android user we're on spotify we're on google play we're on amazon music we're on audible we're on iHeartRadio. we're on stitcher we're on acos we're on our host site podbean so wherever you get your podcast, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy are there. So please be sure to leave reviews on either star ratings on Spotify or written reviews on Apple Podcasts. Those are invaluable to us. But outside of that, guys, you know, this has been a really fun one, but we are out for the day because, you know, this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing, signing off. off.